Uh, I'm Neil. I'm the founder of Android AI, and we are a software company that uh, helps make transportation a little more efficient. Ladies and gentlemen, the Kids in the Room podcast. The Kids in the Room podcast. That's right. That's right. Brought to you by Move Faces TV. Ooh, all right, all right, all right. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Kids in the Room podcast. Yeah, today we've got my friend Neil on the actual show. Neil, tell us uh, who you are. Tell us uh, what your specialty is. Yeah. Thanks for having me on this show, Tavares. Um, guys, I'm Neil. My uh, I'm the founder of Android AI. And what we do is we build software for logistics. Uh, think of it like uh, you order something off of um, Amazon and it shows up at your door. Uh, what we do is how to make it show up at your door as efficiently and as on time as possible. Wow, that's pretty cool. So. Wait, explain like, you know, um, you're saying it, it, it shows up to your, like, like what is the details into it? Like when you're explaining like the product, like how does it really work? Like you guys are like in the specialty of what, tracking um, uh, goods or packaging? Like, can you break that down a little bit more? Sure. Uh, from the time you order something, uh, it passes through many steps. Like let's say the first step is um, the packages packed in a warehouse, let's say somewhere uh, in Kansas. And then it it travels to San Francisco over a road on a semi-truck. Um, and once it arrives in San Francisco, it goes to like a local warehouse, which is where we come in. So how is the, what, what the best way is to send a truck from that local warehouse to your door and uh, make sure that the truck's following the best route possible. Now, w when you say the best route, what does that mean, right? Yes. Um, so, for example, in Google, uh, Google tells you the best way to go between A and B. Um, but uh, imagine a small van making deliveries. It has to go to 100 different stops in a day. And how do you decide which stop should I go to first, which one uh, next? Uh, to make all my deliveries in the shortest possible time. Uh, given that there are things like traffic, there are events that are going on, there's construction, and there are delays. Uh, how, how do you account for all these factors and create like a sequence of stops for the day that um, ensure your packages are delivered on time? Yeah, that, I mean, that's cool, but how do you do that? Like, how does it work? Like, what's, what, like how does that make sense? Like, explain it to, you know, people who are, uh, don't really understand what you're exactly saying. Cause it's like, there's a lot of stuff going on there. There's like, you know, how to, uh, you know, how do you optimize whichever route, um, the best, w w that's more the most efficient way to do so. Right. So like, how does that work? Like, like do you use like some type of special technology to do that algorithms? Like what are you in? Yeah. Yeah. Can you explain that? Yeah, sure. <laughs> yep. Uh, I mean, the secret sauce is in the algorithms. Uh, so mathematically, I, uh, we try to model costs as like a variable. And the objective is to um, uh, uh, to minimize the costs involved in all those deliveries, which roughly translates to minimize the number of miles that your uh, that your truck has to drive. So it's a field in mathematics called combinatorial optimization, uh, which is um, uh, uh, basically formulating a real world problem in a mathematical form and then having a solver solve it to give you a solution that translates to like in this case a sequence of stops that need to be done 
uh, to, to make a route. Wow. That sounds complicated. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Definitely complicated. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I mean, so as you're, as you're, um, um, you know, I guess I want to ask, like, you know, uh, like, how did you, like, what encouraged you to start this? Like, what, what happened? Like, what were some of the steps in life that got you to be like, hey, I'm Neil. I'm going to, you know, uh, create this, this thing, right? Um, that's going to allow um, a more efficient route, um, uh, uh, I guess you would say, uh, connections or, how would you say that? I want to say it the right way and not butcher it. I, want to, I don't want to butcher it. Yeah, I think uh, route optimization uh, is a good term, or planning routes. Um, yeah, to, to answer your question, how I got this way, um, I, I think ever since I was a kid, I have wanted to start a startup. I, I don't know what it, what it was, um, but I, I guess it's, my, uh, it's because of my dad, he had his own business. Uh, whereas um, the rest of my family had jobs, uh, which they had to basically go to at nine o'clock, come back at five, and then have the same routine every day. Whereas my dad had so much more flexibility, and it seemed like he do, uh, uh, always did things that he liked. Um, uh, and then, uh, so, yeah. so it was like basically you're saying like it was this the uh, the nine to five grind that you saw other family members doing, but then you were just like. You were inspired by your dad. You were inspired by your father because your father was already, you know, he was a figure, you know, growing up that uh, inspired you to, you know, go ahead and um, build things or Correct. start your own things, right? Is yes. that kind of what it was? Yeah, I, I think the freedom aspect of it was big, but also getting to see that he actually builds things uh, uh, was encouraging, I would say. And then I think I got my first start in business, uh, like many other kids, I think in high school, I, I was selling music CDs to my friends. <laughs> would have known <laughs> yes. was, was it britney spears what was going on in there neil you know did you have britney spears it's <laughs> okay that they wanted, hit so. me baby one more time okay yep so <laughs> <laughs> yep uh, i think that was pretty popular uh during that time yeah it was right hit yes. me baby one more time I, actually you probably couldn't sing that song if you're a guy you know hit yes. me baby one more time like it's yep. kind of me too-ish you get knocked out oh, i don't know um, uh, uh, but I think um, now that I think about it, games were pro probably more popular. So you, uh, if you wanted a game, uh, you w w couldn't go to GameStop. So I grew up in India, so mm. you had to download it online. And then you had all these people who had uh, wanted to play that game. And uh, th that was like a small business by itself. Maybe that was the start. <laughs> wow. So that was like your first initial business. I would right. say so. Not that it made a lot of money, but I, I think it gave me like, a, now that I look at it in hindsight. That was kind of like your initial entry into, you know, building a business and, you know, thinking about things to scale. kind of gave you the basic infrastructure to say, hey, look, I can build something. And it's like, yeah, I get it, man. It's cool. I've, I've done the same similar thing. I, I think my first business was like, for me, excuse me, was a uh, elementary school and it was a, uh, a candy business um, that I started literally to help solve a problem for my friend who, uh, you know, he wanted to, um, how do you say, uh, he wanted to date this person, right? And, or this girl, right? And like, he never could date her. So I came up with the idea of like, how do we get her attention? And how do we become the cool click? You know, and I was new to the school. And I was like, hey, look, why don't we start a candy, uh, uh, a little uh, business in school? And, uh, you know, we didn't have any, uh, any, per uh, we didn't have any, um, how would you say any personal um, uh, corporation set up, right? So there was no LLC, no ink. It was just literally just a, 
us too, you know, just, just being, doing illegal things as kids, you know, you don't know to set up a business license and stuff like that. And it wasn't that serious. We kind of wanted to do some, Mm -hmm. some lean things and test things before we actually did things like that. But actually we didn't know about that at the time, but we started it, you know, he ended up, uh, dating that girl of his dreams, um, after that. And that, that attention did immediately. It was like instantaneously within a week and a half, we were hanging out with a click that was a cool click. And they were like, Hey, they called us and said, hey, Tavares and Chaz, come over here, man. Hang with us. part of the club? Yeah, we were part of the cool club. Okay. You know, um, I was always good at doing that. Yeah, became, switching things to become a part of the uh, cool club and not, you know, yeah. But it wasn't originally cool because when you come to school, nobody knows you, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just like, who are you? Like, what are you here for, you know? But, you got to earn that somewhere. Yeah, yeah. You got to own your stripes, you know? And until then, you're just like the lowest, you know, portion of the school, unless you just automatically look cool, mm-hmm. you know, but I think I was a loner every time I initially came into schools, but then I just begin to uh, dominate and create my own different vibe. And so I broke a lot of the, uh, the, the, the cycles or the structures and patterns culturally within schools where I just hung out with everyone, you know, in any group, whether it was geek, nerd, <laughs> you know, popular jock, I hung out with everybody, rocker, you know, I was around everybody, you know, um, wrestlers, you know, I, I, you know, I was around them, you know, and I, I wasn't really like, you know, set into this, this little cast, you know, and like people were just like, hey, what's up with this guy? Why is he breaking the rules? Yeah. You know, I, I was a rule breaker, man. I just didn't believe in like grouping things, tribal things. I believe in, you know, humanity. Yep, I, you know? I, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. So it still resonates with me today. And, you know, maybe it's a little bit, of, you know, maybe it's a, you know, contribution to my DNA, man, just just different parts of my ancestry coming from all around the world and just like creating me. Right. And so maybe that's just like the inherent thing in me. But I don't know. But maybe it's just like something I was born with. Maybe it's not that. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, let's, let's talk more about you. Um, So you were inspired by your your father to create a business and things like that. And now where you're at is like you uh you know i don't know let me back let me take a a step back well i think where i want to know is like what inspired you to do this company and how did you kind of get there i got the point that you first started you know beginning the entrepreneurial journey Mm -hmm. when you were inspired by your father but let's take it let's let's take it back to okay now you're at the company you are now that you've created like what were the steps to get you there you know, and, I, and I'm saying back to school, you know, and things like that. Because was your father doing a computer industry business type or what, what kind of industry was it? I don't know if I missed that or not. Uh, yeah, no, uh, I did not mention that. But yeah, he he wasn't uh, not in the computers at all. Um, and uh, he, he was actually into construction. So, so uh, it was when, when I meant build things, he was literally building things. So, right. <laughs> yes. It was a real deal. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, yes. Uh, but I, uh, I, I think the reason I mentioned that is um, w- w- once you're exposed to this kind of entrepreneurial um, mindset from the beginning, right? Um, every time you um, work on something or you look at problems, um, uh, there's a part of your mind that says, hey, I can build a solution towards it. Uh, and I think that's helped me a lot uh, throughout my journey. So coming to your point of why I started this particular business. Uh, so just after school, so I, went, uh, I came to the U.S. in 2012 to um, study a master's in something called as operations research, which is uh, applied math. And uh, 
some some of the problems that we are solving were in transportation by uh, sometimes even in the broader supply chain transportation supply chain which is kind of become cool now but it wasn't as cool yeah it wasn't it wasn't sexy at the time when it, yeah now it's like everybody's doing it in silicon valley that's a new hot startup is the whole transportation and routing type of information thing and, and it, maybe it kind of sprouted off of like companies like you know uber and lyft and then yes. it kind of just switched over to like how can we make you know the whole transportation um uh well not really transportation i, I guess uh what would you say uh it is transportation but more like about i guess you would say like because because like you have other competitors right yep um in the field and that would be like you know uh what was it uh uh is it like uh port was it fort port flex or something like that oh the flexport flexport yeah i always yes. forget their name yep. yeah like and how would you variant how would you differentiate your differentiate your business uh from that uh flexport uh, what we do is something called as a last mile so like i mentioned it comes to somewhere in san francisco and then from somewhere in san francisco to your house in san francisco that's what we deal with whereas flexport deals with uh, some shipment that's coming from china to los angeles how do you deal uh, how do you make that process more efficient or more transparent uh, at, that's what flexport deals with so it's um mostly on the international freight container side of things. Mm, so it's a total different problem they're ta they're tackling in a way. Correct. Yes. Right, but there is some room for overlay for your company and theirs. Co correct. Uh, maybe at a future time. Right. But uh, as a startup, you need to focus. Uh, I think um, lack of focus kills more startups than, um, for example, competition. I I think competition uh, doesn't kill anyone at least at this stage. Right. I mean, competition is healthy because it, it, it kind of, you know, it, it, it empowers you to, you know, push on and, you know, motivates you to kind of do things differently. Could but I, I mean, like, okay, so yep. right now what you guys are doing is, um, you, you know, you, you guys raised around. Yes, uh, we, we did uh, raise around about a month ago. We closed them um, uh, about a million dollars. And uh, that helps us. Uh, uh, yeah, build, build the product, find product market fit, go to where the customers are, scale our team, and so on. So it gives you immense flexibility to do stuff. Right. What are some of the, like, to raise capital, um, what are some of the, like, the, the, the use cases that you're going to use this, you would use this money for? And, like, how would you, how would even more money help you scale? Uh, well, I, I think uh, it's a misconception uh, that's, uh, that most people have that more money is uh, actually good. But uh, it's not always the case because uh, you scale your team too quickly before you have a product that's ready for the customer, what they refer to as product market fit. You can end up spending too much money on the wrong problem. And then, uh, uh, and, and then if you realize quickly and pivot, that's good. But if you do not realize you end up ha having to spend all this money and not having uh, revenues to show show for, right? Yeah, I mean that makes sense. So you're just you know you're being lean. You're only taking money when it's you know needed. Exactly. And yep. scaling that way, right? Yes. So right now we um, the way we are approaching it is as if we don't have much money. So continuing to be lean, uh, and what we're trying to get to quickly is to f figure out uh, what customers actually need. So uh, think of it uh, like we are in the software business. So in the software business, you uh, the most effort 
actually is at the beginning. So you build a software once, and then the more customers you sell it to, the more money you make because uh, uh, serving the software to one customer versus two customers is isn't much different. Uh, if you have a hundred customers, it's probably two x the effort of having one or two customers. Uh, so it scales non-linearly, and the margins are really really high. So uh, as long as you find that product that many people want, uh, then you're golden. I ca I can hardly think of a software business that has this kind of product market fit and still needs money to grow or uh, is not making too much money. Right. So where do you want to kind of take the whole company? Like, are you trying to be, you know, are you, are you guys, you know, you know, hoping to be like a billion dollar company somewhere down the line or, you know, like what, what is it? What is the, uh, the end game? I, I tend to not think of it uh, in terms of money because uh, I, I think if you're um, doing this for, for the money, <laughs> it's very demotivating because um, uh, it's a grind. It's a lot more work than most people can imagine. Uh, from what even I imagined, like the dream that I had, um, it's definitely not something that you can, um, like stories that you hear about someone starting something and becoming rich in three years, uh, those are an exception rather than a norm. So for, to answer your question about what I want this company to become, um, I, I want to uh, solve a real customer need. Uh, I want to make transportation much more efficient, uh, more friendly to the environment. Uh, and uh, in the process, of course, uh, I'm running a business, so I need to make money. But uh, I, I would say uh, building a good product that customers need is first. And then uh, because we are in the software business, money would take care of itself as a consequence of um, building great things. Wow, this is great. So, you know, you know, as you, you, you I also want to also take a step back and, you know, talk about like, how your parents and, you know, um, are, you know, um, or, or family members are, are, are uh, supporting you um, on this journey. Like, are they supportive, you know, of you being a startup founder, you know, quitting your job to build a company? Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> At least they're getting um, used to the fact that I've now a startup founder. But um, if you think about um, startups, it's uh, leaving your job to work on a startup or to start a startup is nothing new in the Silicon Valley. But the further you go from uh, Silicon Valley, it, uh, it becomes less and less common for you to uh, give up the comfort of like a, a big company job. Uh, and um, my parents grew up in India at a time where uh, I would say it was still, uh, there was a lot of socialism. And so uh, you like, let's say you wanted to buy a car, you can buy one of two cars. <laughs> and so there were not many companies uh, to work for. And the dream of every parent, I would say in that age is for, uh, for their kid to work for one of these big companies or the government. And uh, doing your own business wasn't as cool. Uh, and the, uh, because of that kind of mindset, they're uh, uh, they, uh, they, they are not very comfortable with me <laughs> leaving the comfort of like a full-time job to do something that's so risky. Um, and also going back, like in India, you, uh, you either grow up to be an engineer or a doctor, or, or at least that's what most people <laughs> want their kids to do. And in my family, it wasn't even engineer or doctor. It was only doctors because <laughs> um, like if you look at my cousins, I have 
probably 15 cousins and 14 of them are doctors uh, or <laughs> something similar. And uh, I'm kind of like the black sheep uh, who wanted to be an engineer because I wanted to build things. Uh, yeah, so um, I'm trying to convince my parents, but I've realized that it's hard to convince them. Uh, but uh, since I've raised money and uh, I'm doing okay uh, financially, they're not as worried as what they were before. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, what was it like growing up, you know, um, in India versus, you know, because America, I think it's different, right? Oh, yeah. You know, when you're like first generation here and things like that, or third generation, you, you forget about those things of of, uh, of that world, right? So for you, you know, what's your take on that, you know, growing up uh, in India? Like, what was the variances of, you know, uh, growing up in India and then here and then traveling here? Because you now are, you know, uh, a citizen of some sense, right? Uh, or I, I would <laughs> uh, yeah, immigration wise i think uh, i'm not a citizen yet but i've lived here long enough to know uh like what the culture is i would say so right you're a citizen to me anyways <laughs> um yeah but yeah yeah just take i just want to talk about the journey too as well as like sure what was the variations for you growing up in india versus coming to america and you know what was that like and like what was that journey uh yeah so um yeah, because does that make sense? Because like, yeah. I guess I'm saying like, for like some people, you know, they might want to resonate with like, what is that journey like? Because a lot of people don't understand that. And I want to get, I want to touch and, and make sure that other people aren't, you know, understand what that journey is for you. Because some people have these misconceptions of like, oh, it was like this, and it was like this, and mm -hmm. this is, this must be so perfect for you. And it has all these great amenities here. And oh, wow, it must have been easy for you to come here or some people are like, oh, it's so hard. So like, what was that? What was that like? What, what would be kind of comparables, you know, being growing up in India and then now coming here? And then what was that transact, trend, uh, transition here? Yep. Uh, I mean, uh, India is growing rapidly and it's uh, becoming more and more like the West. But uh, I remember growing up uh, and um, like some things you take for granted in uh, the US, uh, you have to worry about uh, in India, for example, um, you have electricity 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. But uh, growing up, I remember uh, there would be days where <laughs> there's no electricity, <laughs> which was uh, like you you don't really get bothered by it because th that's the way things are. Or uh, there are days where you don't get running water in your house. Um, uh, it's much be better now, but uh, it used to be that way. Uh, where, whereas when you come to the U.S., um, I haven't seen uh, a blackout, mm -hmm. electricity back blackout in like a long time. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, things like that that you take for granted in the U.S. It's very different in India. Yeah, I think that's pretty awesome. And then, you know, how did you get over here? You got like an internship yes. or like what happened? Uh, yeah, so the, uh, when I came to the U.S. to get a master's degree. That um, and then ended up getting a job at a startup, uh, which was run by an MIT professor, and that uh, professor um, uh, would take his research in transportation and apply it to uh, companies around uh, the globe, and that's how I got exposed to a lot of problems in transportation, and also uh, got to travel and see a lot of cool places. Wow, that's crazy! So this was like, but were you seeking this, or it just kind of fell in your lap through it? You know. How, how, yeah. Yeah. So um, when I was uh, grad, uh, like when I was close to graduating, 
uh, I did apply to a lot of jobs. And then I, I got a c- couple of jobs at these big companies, uh, including one, um, I think, here in San Jose. Uh, and there was uh, this kind of email that our professor sent out saying that, hey, one of my colleagues uh, who's at MIT is starting a startup um, and is looking for people who have like the skill in transportation and mathematics. And I was like, okay, this sounds interesting. I always wanted to do, do a startup. I, I do not know how to start one in the US, but maybe working for a startup uh, will at, at least give me some, some kind of experience. And that's what I did. And so uh, I uh, turned down the other office and went, uh, went uh, moved to Boston to work for him. Wow. So would you say your journey was kind of like a recommendation and then that's how you kind of, it's kind of how you got into yes. uh yeah, I would say so. Isn't that wild? Yeah, yeah, that is. Yeah, do you be, do you believe in destiny or do you believe in uh, you know, life is just sporadic? Uh, I do believe in serendipity a lot. Uh, destiny, I think. Well, uh, the way I was brought up, uh, we do believe a lot, a lot in destiny and karma in India. But uh, I think there is a little bit of that, but I think you can control your destiny to a large extent. Like you work hard you probably will get things. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. That's yeah. kind of karma. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally, man. But yeah. so, so I guess I want to also ask too as well, like, you know, um, you know, you were growing up, you know, in India, you came here, you kind of got in this trajectory of this internship and it was kind of recommended and you got into this whole thing and now you're here building a company, right? And you raised mm-hmm. millions of dollars and it's like, you know, I think we had talked, you know, offline, you know, previously. And it was just like, I think we were talking about like, you know, confidence and, you know, being going out there to sell yourself and, you know, be presentable. And it's like, you know, how do you feel like, I don't know, like, how do you feel like the way you were growing up contributed to, you know, um, this whole like, you know, I don't know, I guess, I mean, like culturally wise, like in the United States, it's kind of, uh, you kind of push to be more um, uh, uh, resilient, outgoing in a way, or you just kind of die, right? I mean, not everybody is that way, but you're kind of pushed to be that way because just like how society is. And I know we spoke and, you know, you always, you know, were transparent. I was like, hey, look, you know, I'm just not that, I've never been in the past that really outgoing person. And, you know, you've been kind of rather reserved and just introverted at some point. And it's just like, but wait a minute here, you're an introvert, but you raised a million dollars. You know, isn't that, isn't that almost like a, a contradiction of your, you know, presence and the reality? It's like, wow, isn't that amazing? Like to even think that, like, where do you think that comes from? Like, how did that start? Like, do you think that's a cultural thing growing up back in India um, or, or what? Or is it like a family thing? What's your opinion? Um, uh, I would say my, um, my mom's actually a professor, so she's way more uh, extroverted than me. <laughs> she talks to people all the time. <laughs> Uh, but uh, the culture generally in India is uh, you basically uh, listen to people uh, rather than uh, be more outgoing. Uh, like I'm amazed, uh, uh, like kids here in the U.S., they s- speak s- so well and co- confidently. Uh, you don't have that kind of um, uh, kind of culture growing up. Uh, you're supposed to listen to your elders and uh, do th- do as they say and so on. Uh, so part of, I think part of it was how I grew up. Uh, part of it is uh, being like a techie or an engineer, <laughs> where 
you go to your corner and work on something and you don't really interact with people um and when i started this business um, my idea of a startup was uh, to put it simply you build and they would come so you build a great product and somehow customers will find you like beat a path to your door and i could be uh, couldn't be more wrong than <laughs> than that uh, so i've been uh, uh, yeah like startups are a lot of learning and one of the learnings was uh, it's not uh, enough it's not not enough to have just a product you also need to sell your product uh, and i've been trying uh, to be more outgoing reach out to more people uh, networking networking is another big thing uh, i don't think it's uh, stressed enough in school uh but networking is probably a, a very very big aspect both in terms of sales and in uh, raising money uh and to answer your question about how i ended up raising money it was uh, basically through networking so i was at an event where i um actually met an investor who happened to have uh, happened to have invested in another logistics uh, related software company and he was excited about <laughs> what i was doing and he's like oh, oh this sounds interesting I, i can write you a check if you're raising money i was like okay <laughs> then uh, he introduced me to his friends who wrote checks and they introduced me to their friends who wrote checks and then before i knew it it was like a million dollars so uh, uh yeah ne- i would stress um uh that networking is a big part of running a startup the more connections you have the more people who you interact with um kind of serendipity happens Right. Yeah. And and would you say also as well as like like were you know were there any similarities to the people that you were networking with? Like did they have any, you know, um uh similar attributes as you or maybe some of them may have been connected to, you know, back home in India or they had cousins or relatives that might have lived near you or was it just like randomness, you know, of just like some guy from London? who just like wanted to invest in your company or some guy sitting over here from Silicon Valley who just said, "Hey, here's the money." Was there any like of, you know, I guess I want to say like was there any type of connection that you guys had, you know, that would help, you know, connect the dots? Uh, I wouldn't say uh, we had some kind of connection like we both went to the same school or something. And I think that's or maybe like your the grandparents or you know grew up in a town no. near you or something like that cuz you know you sometimes you see that in silicon valley sometimes like hey man i grew up in the same town okay yeah i'll support you because you grew up near my grandma like literally I, you see things like that here it's it's uh it's it's cool but go ahead. no i mean that uh, that's absolutely true and i think that's one of uh, the things that makes silicon valley special is um i, I think the willingness for people to bet on uh ideas and tr- to trust people that they're meeting for the first time I think the connection that I had with our first investor is that we both went to University of Michigan. So that helped I'm guessing. Right. But um I wouldn't be very surprised if he would uh, he would have invested in me because I went to a, uh, even if I went to a different school. I think it's more about um them being founders themselves and uh, resonating with the kind of journey at the very beginning. Uh, and a lot of people have told me this uh, starting a startup the first few years till you figure out what to build uh, is probably the best part of being a startup and um when investors like the ones that have invested me uh, in me in um uh invest i think part of the reason is they want to relive those days because they get to um hear what's going on offer suggestions yeah and so on 
Right, they get to kind of live through you and uh, in a new generation, and they also get to make money from you too as well, because you know they they they're betting on you to win, you know. Yes, uh, definitely. I mean, even is. though the probability you you know most startups fail. Correct. Right. Yep. Uh, I I mean that, that's a very good point. Uh, so, so here's the thing about probability. So um, that's a topic that's close to my heart. Many people think, oh, okay, ninety percent of the startups fail, or, or is that number close to ninety five percent? But uh, that's assuming that you're starting from nothing. Uh, w- what happens is as you build a startup and you learn things, uh, your probability actually of success increases. So uh, like a second time founder is way more uh, likely to build a successful startup if he has uh, built a successful startup already. So it's not 90% the second time he starts it. Uh, the reason I mentioned this is it shouldn't be discouraging to people that, hey, um, I'm only going to succeed, uh, succeed 5% of the time. Uh, you can actually increase those odds massively by going through this journey. Wow. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah, totally. I mean, because there's like a, there is kind of like a recipe of like um, uh, repetitively doing something and learning from those mistakes. And so you can rapidly iterate based off of your previous um, lessons that you might have learned. Like there is an art of, uh, you know, um, learning through experience and learning through failure. And once you learn those failures, you know, you can reflect on those and think how you could do it better. And then when you win some of those failures, you kind of know how to navigate it through faster because you reflect into, okay, I would have did this and that. Um, a little bit differently than I would have did previously, right? Absolutely, uh, I think that's a great point. Right, yep. so it just makes it easier, right? Like, but but you know what's funny though? You don't have that many uh, founders that are like your Elon Musk who just like continuously take these large risks and you know push you know the human culture on a significant um, out of our boundaries of what we typically think of doing, you know? Yep, uh, I mean. Um even if you look at Elon Musk, I, I don't think all the startups that he started, at least at the beginning, were uh, successes. Uh, 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 what was it? Like his first big success was X.com, which merged with PayPal. Uh, and, but he had startups before that, which we don't talk much about, but probably he learned a lot from. Right. I mean, getting that one big yeah. solid win is your, you know, it's your big catapult exactly to, yes. you know, leading you in a life of leverage. Correct. Um, it totally is. But after that, he kind of, yes. Uh, yeah. He kept yeah. on, he, he kept on closely hitting on runs, but then you have founders like, you know, Zuckerberg and it's like, what has he done since Facebook? C- correct. You know, if you take him out of Facebook, I mean, do you really see Zuckerberg do anything magnificent again? Like, is he, a, is he, is he a one trick pony? You know, or is he just like a, a can you know this chameleon who can consistently keep on making home runs like Elon Musk is, and I find that to be rare. Yep. Some people get lucky, and I'm not saying that you know Zuckerberg hasn't had some solid wins prior mm-hmm. to Facebook, but by all means, Facebook is his biggest idea. Correct. Yeah, uh, it's hard to say unless uh, he starts something. Uh, let's see what happens with Meta now. Um, maybe that will prove us both wrong. Yeah, you know, I mean, maybe maybe it will. I think like. You know, and I, and I wonder, like, is it really proving us both really wrong in some sense? Or is it just like, you know, he poached the idea from other people because the metaverse is not new, right? The idea right. behind it has been around for years, mm-hmm. you know, um, probably before we were even born. So it's like, 
you know, I think really right now we're at, we're at a point where we have the technology to leverage it mm -hmm. and to really start building that initial framework and foundation. But other than that, it's like, I guess it's like all the chemicals and the things that need to be right for this condition to exist, like life, we're all here right now. Those, those initial components are there, right? Okay. So it's like, you know, water, soil, you know, it's sunlight, you know, um, those, those core elements, right? Yep. Um, and it's like, I think that is where we are with for the metaverse, but there is this big race for the metaverse for different companies who might want to jump into this. I've heard you know rumors about Apple. Um, uh, it, it, I think I forgot what, another a couple of other companies too are interested into it too as well. But anyways, point taken. Um, I think the metaverse is interesting, but I think for sure. yeah, is the metaverse in a way an escape from reality when we already can't deal with what's going on in, in real time, right? Like, you know, imagine everybody just synced up to the metaverse. I think that's what a lot of people would love you to do. We're already synced up to TV. We're already synced up to our mobile devices. Mm -hmm. Now let's get them hooked on the metaverse. Let's push those dopamine, you know, rushes in with the metaverse and get you addicted to sitting in your house in a room and never doing anything, uh, never doing anything in life. And, you know, we have universal basic income and you're never trying to create or, you know, um, uh, build anything new because you're just synced to the, the whole metaverse, right? Yep, uh, absolutely. Uh, I, I don't know how it'll play out, but I think there are a few use cases that are uh, um, for which metaverse makes sense. Uh, but for um, many use cases that you see, it's basically uh, catering to the attention economy where they try to monetize uh, the time you're hooked up to the metaverse. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a thing is like, who do you trust with the metaverse? And I think like, you know, of course, there's guys like Elon who don't bet on Zuckerberg being that person. I'm pretty sure there's other founders who don't bet on Zuckerberg because they've seen the abuse of how Facebook has kind of, you know, manipulated the minds of the masses, Correct. you know, um, which I understand. But I th also think Facebook is, you know, amazing thing. It's changed the world. It's changed the way how we communicate um, and connect, right? Yeah, yep. Uh, I mean, it's a double-edged sword. So um, it allows people to be connected. But uh, on the other hand, it also, uh, like, spreads hate, for example, or... Um, uh, or, or, or the quality of your connections, you might be connected to 5,000 people, but the, um, they're all superficial. So you don't have like the few deep connections that human beings really need. Right. And then you have the algorithm trying to uh, predict who you might want to speak to and what information you might want to see. And then they want to dump in with the advertisement model and, you know, monetize off of you. And it's just like, hey, that's awesome. But you know, I'm really here originally to connect with my friends and kind of keep up with them daily. And when you keep on, you know, playing with the algorithm, you're kind of populating things that you guess that I want to see. And then you you start, you know, and, and there's another thing too. It's like when you have, I, this is where I think diversity really matters, you know? And I know a lot of companies, we say it's trending now to be diversity matters, but it's like, here's where I think diversity matters, right? When it comes to, you know, having multiple types of personalities and building the product, you know, like, for example, introverts, you know, people from India, Mexico, Brazil, you know, whatever, anywhere around the world, Africa, whatever, bring these all types of people and people from the United States all in here, introvert, extrovert into the product space as much as possible. Because what ends up happening is you have certain people who have certain attributes mm -hmm. and are not connected to the world building products for the world. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, but, but there's also this factor about um, Facebook's a public company there. Um, they're responsible for their shareholders. And uh, what maximizes profits is probably uh, deciding what 
the pro- which uh, the direction of which the product should be uh, taken on. Yeah. You know, and I agree with that totally, and I understand that, right? Yep. You know, I've I've worked at Meta before, so I get it. But at the same point, I think what I'm saying is like there begins to be a way. There's there's more than one way to execute. Yep. And when your personality is driven based off of where you were raised, who you associate with, and mm-hmm. you close that off, right? And then you say, I'm going to give my opinion on how this direction, this product is going to be built. You're putting that down for the entire world. A group yeah. of people who just all kind of think alike, you yeah. know, it's like, you know, it begins to be kind of like a culty in a way. And it's just like, it's also closes minds because everybody's not thinking different. Mm-hmm. And then it allows disruption to sneak in because everybody's thinking the same. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are introverted. A lot of people are, you know, copying and mimicking. I mean, typically, you you, you know, I've been, you know, what I've seen, I've seen people like, you know, inside of, you know, Facebook where everybody's trying to talk like, especially higher ups, try to talk like Mark Zuckerberg. And I'm like, am I fucking, am I talking to you or am I talking to Zuck? Like you guys are like miniature Zuckies. And it's like, you know, and you even got to get a girlfriend just like Zuck, you know, like you typically see that. And, you know, our startups, and especially when you go to certain companies, you see like a, a mismatching of the CEO's culture. Yeah. And people tend to copy and paste those things instead of being their own original self. It's kind of a human attribute is to kind of like copy and paste what they see around them. So it, I don't know, maybe that's often a little rant, but I'm just saying in general, I believe diversity matters so much and not just a Silicon Valley blanket diversity. Cause I think what we say in Silicon Valley is diversity is not really thinking about this diversity in a whole, right? We have people who are building products who are kind of clicking in groups and only knowing and only associating with those. And they have a different personality traits, which is not bad, but you need a, a mixture of different ones. I feel not because, you know, somebody didn't earn it or n- these other things like that. I feel like we just need different opinions when we're building these things. And I get, we can get feedback through user research, but it's different because we're going to actually make those calls internally overall. Yeah. And it's like how that algorithm is built, um, is, is built off of the product people and they can suggest way the direction they feel like they should go, you know? And then when it comes to creating new ideas and things like that, I guess what I'm saying is if these companies already have the best people, then why are they buying and inquiring new companies consistently? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a good question. Probably, uh, there are many factors. I think one is to show growth. Um, like Instagram for, was like a good case for this or WhatsApp. Uh, another well I, I i agree yes to show growth but i guess what i'm saying is so for example like you go to a lot of companies and a lot of companies will say in order to be a senior this or at a l l this an ex- whatever level it is a pay grade or, or or how well they think you're able to accomplish the goal uh, that they need to achieve they will rate you based off of your interviewing skills and then put you in those positions based off of that but they're not actually practical because if you look at the whole scope, you got guys like, you know, um, uh, Kevin Sinstrom um, if, of Instagram, would he've passed some of those initial tests to be in product and to get to those high levels? Absolutely not. Right. Yeah. So how can you tell someone that this is the bar for quality and in, 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 in design thinking or building products or engineering when a lot of these people couldn't have passed the initial test? Yeah, it's a, <laughs> I think hiring is a, a very big a challenge um, because uh, the, like if you're hiring one or two people uh, you can get to know them spend time with them and figure out who they really are but how, how do you hire a thousand uh, person team where uh, where you have to be consistent and repeatable 
Uh, I think all, all these are shortcuts, which leads to a lot of gatekeeping. I, I would say. <laughs> and oh yeah. For, for example, uh, lead code. I I know the, uh, people have opinions, but I would say. Uh, if lead code was a way to enter my company probably i wouldn't have made it <laughs> through through that test uh, and i don't even know if lead code is um the kind of skills that you use on a day to day basis um uh, but uh, i mean it, it might show uh, other things like for example how um uh, persistent you are or how hard working you are to spend time after your work to practice uh, practice these problems which Uh, could be like good skills to have on your team. I agree, but then there's so many diversities when it comes to personalities mm-hmm. um that are not brought into there. For example, introverts. Yep. Introverts typically I think do well in engineering. Mhm. Right? You know, I have I have a really introverted personality types, you know. You might not notice them as much. Yeah, it doesn't seem obvious. But, you know, I've had to train myself to that. I had to train myself to be that person, you know. I had to train it. You know, my mom said, you know, hey, a closed mouth is a mouth unfed. Mm. So I've had to learn how to reverse engineer myself. Got it. Right? By challenging myself and being outspoken and being confident in what I'm saying and speaking and then sometimes fucking up, you know, making mistakes, going out there, doing things that don't scale. You know, doing all those fundamental practices, you know, before Paul Graham even, you know, made them public, I was doing them, you know? So it's like these are the things that I'm 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 creating frameworks on when it comes to being myself and and my human needs and maybe I can pass it on to other people and inspire them that's the goal yeah but i'm just saying in general is like i don't know i think like when we're thinking about you know uh hiring processes and we're thinking about figuring out how to you know hire to scale this is where diversity kicks in man you know cuz we need to understand introverts if you have designers designers are most of the time not considered i mean they're not delightful to be uh considered as quality if they are introverted Mm-hmm. because you you're known to have to have a good communication skills and you need to follow this framework or you're not a good designer. Yep. But again, here's where it gets really loopy and here's where it gets inconsistent. How many of these original founders of WhatsApp, Instagram, Dropbox, Airbnb would be considered or hired by any of these top-tier companies or even some of the companies that are fang now? I would say and I would bet most of them fucking wouldn't. Yeah, I would agree. <laughs> so then we have to revisit what the hell are these what are these uh entry level, you know, um gatekeeper processes that we're building out and are we getting quality because if obviously we're not, it's broken. The hiring process is broken because if it wasn't, then guess what? We wouldn't be acquiring billion dollar companies because we would have these L8s and 6 or whatever levels you want to have internally at your company. We would have these people building these products. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong, there might be some, you know, other things like politics internally and, you know, being able to have the power to drive something, to change the whole product cycle, you know, there's those overlays of that, you know, the whole levels. But overall, like in general, I would say still why aren't the highest quality of those people in the product inventing these new things? Yeah. A good question. And if they're so skilled, why can't they just go leave and build their own freaking company? Yeah. I mean, um building your own company is not just like building a product, it's so many other things. Like we talked about like selling for example is a big thing. Like raising money is another big thing. And uh trying to do it all by yourself is um very intimidating, I would say. Uh and it's 
it's also uh, the, uh, i think the reason why many young uh, people start companies because they do not know how hard it is which is uh, very good ignorance is <laughs> ignorance is bliss right okay. exactly mm -hmm. yes um coming back to levels within companies uh, i i think those are if a l level two um, i haven't worked in a big company myself but if i understand correctly uh, if you're at a certain level you're supposed to be working on a certain kind of problem but what happens in a startup is very different if you're good at it you can probably <laughs> do anything you like uh, irrespective of at the level uh, and uh, i also believe this is just my personal opinion that uh, all these levels are created within companies as a sort of gamification uh, if you look at all these other companies the uh, way they get your attention is by gamifying things um so i, I think uh, levels are a way to do that and retain people internally um if you stick around another three months now you uh, good luck you unlocked level number six <laughs> and so on <laughs> Uh, which um, I, I think is bad uh, for companies, but when, once you reach a certain size, I, I can't think of a better way to do this. Yeah, I mean, I I see that too. I see the gamification to it, but I mean, I've even talked to you know you know being in the in the, in the interviewing space, I've even talked to other recruiters and things like that, and they'll tell you like, oh, you know, I, I will I will break down the the fundamentals because you know I'm just always I'm a problem solver. Mm -hmm. So I will tell you, I was like, hey, look, this doesn't make sense because I could learn how to be amazing at uh, you know interviews, but not be great at actually executing. Yeah, right. I could be also a, a sprinter versus a marathon runner when mm -hmm. it comes to building products. Some people, so if you tell me, hey, look, 45, you've got 45 minutes to show me that you can build a great product and you have a great framework. That's not reality in building a real company. Oh, well, we want to see how you collaborate. I don't know you. Yeah. You know, tell an introvert to work with somebody else that they don't know and like see how it works. And then there's also chemistry of the personality traits. There's a lot of red flags and, and false signals with these processes and they're broken. And I think we just copy and paste these things and say, oh, well, this is how we level somebody else, you know? And then what happens is investors end up copy and pasting. Oh, if you worked at this company, then you obviously know how to do the job. Correct. But you didn't work at those companies and you obviously know how to do the job. Yep. Do you see what I'm saying? Yep. This uh, is where I, it begins to be dangerous, yes. right? Yep. We begin to discriminate without knowing that we're discriminating. Because if those blockers were right and you listened to them, right and you weren't resilient you would not be where you are Correct. yep um now it's interesting that you mentioned even investors because uh, the way investors decide to uh, invest or no is usually through uh, creating a pitch deck and you making a presentation and talking about big numbers and stuff which <laughs> I, I really think uh, at least at very early stages it uh, makes uh, no sense whatsoever um and the reason is uh, um if you knew what exactly you're building and you have a plan to scale, then you don't really need money. You can, <laughs> you can build it yourself. Uh, the truth is that startups have no clue what the cu customer needs. And uh, it's a constant process of uh, iterating, reiterating, pivoting, uh, and so on. So uh, I think the exercise of you pitching to investors uh, tests more of your storytelling and your presentation skills rather than your actual ability to build product. Right. And I totally agree on that. Mm -hmm. But sometimes your ability with storytelling may suck, but you might be an amazing fucking person to build an amazing company. <laughs> yeah, right? it is possible. Right. Like, I, I mean, do you really, I mean, like, honestly, you know, I'm pretty sure Elon Musk has built this 
courage, not trying to talk about Elon Musk all the time, but I'm pretty sure he's built this courage to tell a story, but he initially didn't have that. For sure. Yeah. You uh, know? Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think people are born with these skills. It's learned over time. And uh, as long as you keep trying and uh, don't make the same mistakes, uh, you'll get somewhere. I mean, like watch, Neil. Elon Musk, let's go back. I'm going to talk about him again. Just give, use him as a, as a framework, right? We're going to okay. use him for a framework, for example. I like using him. So when he first started off, you know, building companies, um, and before he started, you know, building companies, he was going in, into, I think it was uh, Netscape or something like that. And he went into the offices, right? And when he, you know, when he went into these offices, he was just like, okay, um, you know, um, I'm going to get a job here, you know? I'm going to you know, quit school. I'm going to get a job maybe at like Netscape or something else like that. Right. I think that's kind of what the story um, kind of goes like. And when he goes into the lobby to, you know, see if he can get a job, he walks out because he's like, they probably would never hire me without even talking to anybody. This is fucking introvert as hell. He walks out and says, well, I guess I need to start a company. Yeah. <laughs> How did he get to that freaking conclusion? Like he didn't even talk to anybody, but this is an introverted personality type. And it's like, how do people like that? get noticed because now he's not introverted as, as, as you would think, right? He's, you know, um, uh, he's definitely more outgoing, but at the same time, his confidence has grown as he's built more success and he's a popular person. So it's easy to speak when you have that presence and those wins behind you, right? You don't have to buy people's favor, right? People already have some favoritism towards you already now because you're, you're the hero. He's like, oh, anything you do touches a goal. So now you're a winner. It's easy point to be that guy then. Yeah. But, but he's gone through hard times to get here for sure. Of course. Yeah. Of course. But he's done it within, um, uh, I would say scalable levels, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, he's, 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 he's done things within reason. You know, he didn't jump out there and say, I'm going to build Tesla for his first startup. Mm -hmm. He scaled properly. He started yeah. off with, you know, the company that merged in with us, uh, PayPal that you spoke about earlier. And then that gave him enough in, uh, um, uh, money to our engine or push your power to actually go ahead and, you know, invest in, you know, Tesla, you know, the, the other, uh, uh, what is it? The satellite company space, space, well, not no well, SpaceX, but the other, what's the other one that he does? He does like, um, a satellite company born. Oh. No, it's not a boring company. He does another one. It's oh, like, uh, SpaceX launches uh, satellites. What's it called? Uh, Link, Starlink. No, yeah, Starlink. And then there's also um, what is the other one? There's also another one they do for like solar power, oh, Solar City or something solar like that, City, yeah. or something like oh, that. Yeah, cousin's company. Right. So it's like you know, but I think he he obviously has his little hands in that one. But um, you get my point. But now he's been able to spread himself out thin. I think a lot of people think like, oh, well, I don't want to say spread himself out thin. What people will typically think is spreading themselves out thin. But I would say he's not really spreading himself out thin once you've already reached enough quality, you know, within the companies and you've hired the right people. You can do more things, right, to scale. But at first, you can't do that. Your first initial companies of success. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think people start out with, uh, I need to build a billion dollar company. <laughs> first, uh, I think you should cut your teeth at building like a thousand dollar company first and then move up to a hundred thousand and then you'll reach billion someday. But um, it's very, very unlikely that you can start a billion dollar company on your first go. There's so much to learn. Uh, it's like drinking out of a fire hose. Yeah, there's so much to fail. There's so much to learn. And it's like, and everybody has their own time of success. Correct. Yes. Right. There's no like, I think everybody always tries to rush. Oh, my friend's doing that. And I should be doing this. And I feel like one thing I, when I first came to Silicon Valley, I felt like, you know, everybody was trying to build a company. Correct. And it was like, are you even a person to build a company? Like, is that in your nature? That's, is that who you are? Like, I feel like me and you have like kind of in our DNA, you know, we're just like 
those we're just that you know outgoing let's build something let's solve a problem let's not wait for people let's do it so we're always looking for that opportunity to build something and to help people and humanity and that's what you're doing yeah uh, i i think uh yeah uh, uh, that's a danger i think where um it's a good problem to have where more people want uh, are starting companies because um uh, the market forces will filter people who <laughs> build good products versus uh, not have uh, good products but uh, i agree like a lot of people start companies for the wrong reasons one of them is it'll look good on my resume i i don't encourage people to start a company because um it'll look good on your resume it's way too hard <laughs> i mean facebook movie kind of pushed that you know yeah once that facebook movie came out it just birthed a bunch of entrepreneurs yeah uh, which is okay i think <laughs> i don't know i don't think it's okay and i'll tell you why i think it's not okay i'll give you my opinion okay. i think it just made the crowd i think it made our space noisy you got a bunch of entrepreneurs out here trying to build stuff and so when you're trying to raise capital everybody thinks you're the entrepreneur unless you prove them through some amazing metric or you have some type of connection other than that but i think right now where we're at is it kind of filtered itself out to where there's not many people starting companies like it used to be now everybody's like oh let me get a job at google yeah not that google's bad but you know what i mean yeah i mean uh, with, with that kind of pay i would be tempted <laughs> yeah it's great perks it's easy to get you caught in and that's also where i wanted to also talk about all right cool because it's like we talked about like hiring processes and best practices that may go wrong and that probably aren't built in, the, in a scalable and a logical way right and more efficient but if you think of things of uh uh what was it uh, uh what was that uh the pay Mm -hmm. I feel like the pay is a more of a gamification. And that's one thing I always get scared about is like when I'm working at bigger orgs, it's like they pay you so well, they make it hard for you to leave and take that risk. Yeah, I mean, uh, they're good at keeping users on their platform. They, they should be good at keeping engineers in their companies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. It's a, the, the gamification of that. Yes. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I spoke to one person. We were just talking about hiring practices and things like that. And I think like one person was like, hey, you shouldn't gamify the process. I'm like, but it is, it's all a game. Yeah. You know? I'm like, hey, one of my friends, I told him he was working at another top org um, and he was like, you know, a, a senior engineer. And I was like, hey, man, and he was like, hey, I really want to get, you know, uh, to a maybe a higher position, but it's going to take me a long time. I was like, man, just go build your own startup, dude. And you'll make way more than what you're doing right now. And you'll learn a bunch of cool things. And maybe if you fell and you can always go back with that new experience and they're going to, you know, ramp you up like that. And he was like, yeah, man, I don't know. I don't know. I've, I need to get by the fourth year, I'm going to get this much money. And if, you know, he's going to reach all these, these, these type of uh, caps that are going to, you know, pay him uh, handsomely. So he didn't want to do that, but he ended up doing it. And now a lot of the same companies that wouldn't even rated him as this top level uh, person came back to him with an offer after a year of working in this other startup and it's going moderately decent. They've raised a lot of money and now they're offering him VP position okay. without even going through the test. Yep. <laughs> so what is the point of the test? Like what happened to him and what skills and knowledge did he gain immediately by jumping off the, you know, the, the train? Yeah. I, I don't know, man. It's do you see what I'm saying? Like he, he just switched. He said, oh, I'm going to quit and I'm going to do it myself. And now he's automatically, you know, within a year to this higher position he would have never got if he stayed internally. Makes sense. Yeah, but um, uh, you, you mentioned like how Elon Musk went into the office and said, decided that's not for me. Uh, I think there's a, a part of uh, me, at least, that uh, cannot work in a big company. So the MIT professor's company got acquired by another big firm. And then at that point... I was like, okay, this culture is not really for me. Uh, where um, I can't um, put my finger on what exactly it was, but 
um, starting a company just to go back to another company. <laughs> I don't think so once you get a taste of working on a startup, you can go and work for a big company. I, I at least think of it as like a one way street. Yeah, I agree with you. Unless you don't have another startup yeah. to do it in, because then you have to fucking survive. So it's Correct. like, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, that, that's you know? definitely there. And I mean, you have to find that. I, to do it, right. <laughs> yes, you have to do it. But yeah. Uh, given a choice. Um, yeah, it's really hard for me to go back uh, yeah. uh, to, uh, to the other. Because you're doing things. good. You're doing good. Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't say so. I'm, I think I'm trying to figure things out. Um, but uh, the journey itself, it's very exciting. The kind of things you learn, uh, I, I would say like the networking, the kind of people you meet, uh, the kind of advice you get. And uh, th there's something magical, I think, when you're trying really hard to do something, people are more willing to help you. Uh, the kind of advice that I get, uh, I wouldn't have got that um, working for another company. Uh, people try to mentor you. I think people are very kind. Yeah, but you know what, though? People are very kind. But you know what? You have one thing on your side money you don't have a lot but that money gives you runway right yes uh, for and sure. that gives you time to think about your next moves for, for sure uh i i don't discount that uh, and you're it, also an engineer yes uh being uh having uh, the ability to code things or build things yourself uh, is definitely a plus and having money in the bank uh, i wouldn't uh, even though i <laughs> don't want to say it's big it is a big factor it gives you so much um so many options like you can take your time and figure what what people really want uh, rather than trying to always optimize for getting that extra dollar yeah the extra dollar man we live by the dollar slave to the dollar yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i don't know I, I mean i get it too totally and i, I agree with you 100 percent. i don't know i just think i don't know it's it's a touchy point but I, money matters and i think a lot of people don't put that into account a lot of successful startups could have been successful, but maybe that doesn't make them successful, but there could have been a lot of, I feel there's a lot of startups that just needed a certain amount of money. And a lot of great startups died because they couldn't raise the money, whether it was too early or whatever it may be, you know, they, they didn't get it. So for me, I feel like money does matter with, you know, startup success. And the more you have to, uh, you know, on your side, the easier I feel it is for, or it helps you execute the goal a lot easier and efficiently because you're not worried about that. Oh, how much money do we have left? Correct. Uh, I think there's some truth to it, but uh, I'll give you a counterpoint. Uh, um, uh, if money was a big f factor in deciding success of companies, then the v uh, the success rate um, of VC investments would be much much larger than what we see today. Like even like take the top VCs, Andreessen or um uh what's the other one benchmark capital sequoia um or even like very early stage y combinator uh look at their success rates they are in the single digit percentages of making unicorns or something that's widely successful so uh, i i don't think there's a co uh, there's a very strong correlation between the amount of money you raise and uh, being a unicorn um because uh, if money was like a big factor, then we should uh, have seen their success rate. Uh, like when they invest $100 million, uh, that should have made m many more companies uh, unicorns. And I agree with that. Yeah. I don't, I, and I don't want to sit there and sit in stone and say money matters over everything. Correct. Uh -huh. But I'm saying there's also other things that we're not putting into this whole output. Yes. Right? 
So it's like, we can make these assumptions that money doesn't really matter. Then how come this person got a hundred million dollars? So how do so many of them fail? Well, there could be a numerous amount of factors that we're not adding into that output. And what those, what some of those could be is who's investing in who and why? Correct. Yeah, I mean, investors have you know, startups. People yeah. start investing. I've seen in Silicon Valley, people start investing really clicky. It's oh. not everybody, but people do. Mm -hmm. What school did you go through? They start pattern matching. So when you start, Elizabeth, was it Elizabeth Holmes? What was her name? Yeah, that yeah. was. Yeah, like how does she raise so much freaking money? Mm. Right? It's like, come on, man. Like really, you guys gave her money. You guys threw money at her. And I don't know the whole, you know, backstory. I saw some information about it. And, you know, it really wasn't interesting to me, but... To me, it was just like another person who got some easy money to be raised, you know, um, and maybe it wasn't easy. I don't know. But I'm just saying, you know, you, you start throwing money at people who, you know, it, it's like, what is the reasoning behind that? Yep. You know, a hundred million dollars for no product and nothing. But then there's so many other people who have products, who have possible ideas. I believe personally that it's just not a one size fits all uh, output, right? I don't believe it's just like, well, hey, look, it's that simple. Hey, well, you know, all these people have this much money. How come they didn't, you know, become successful if that's the point? Is money was the only factor. I do not believe money is the only factor. Yeah. But I believe there's so many different other attributes of why those are companies are failing. Yes. And it's just like a, not an easy one to kind of formulate. Yeah. But I would believe a, a big portion of it too is like this type of pattern matching that we do. And this is the same thing that I'm saying, explaining that happens in our hiring process at tech companies. We try to pattern match and create these frameworks to signal or output what we think is success or, or most likely will have the highest, highest probability of success. But that doesn't always output the same way. Yeah. Um, I agree. Yeah, like Paul Graham uh, says this in one of his essays, like the default outcome for anyone starting a startup is failure. And then uh, it's going to be a series of uh, lucky events that turns uh, you from a failure to a success. So <laughs> uh, unless you get like a series of wins uh, that happen uh, like uh, no, very rarely, you don't get startups and, and if i uh, and even if you look at it the other way let's say you figure out factor a b and c are what causes successful startups then uh it would be the same as people training to be like a dentist or an engineer so you do a b and c and then you build a successful startup i don't think you can basically distill it down to a few factors it's a bunch of serendipity luck hard work uh, you, uh, yeah it's it's a bunch of things uh, money is definitely one of it yeah i see that 100 percent, and i agree with that I, I just think like there's a format to it but i believe if you don't have money it just pushes the highest probability of it. and there's so many people who have ideas but they can't even raise capital but then there's so many people who have somewhat ideas and they're just able to easily you know raise capital everybody's not equally able to raise capital the same way because there's a lot of pattern matching and things like that that goes on in silicon valley so you do see this influx of people raising a lot of money because people are typecasting and supporting you know their groups and people who went to the same school and grew up in the same town or you know different little attributes like that little tribalism things that go on in silicon valley and you have some people just leveraging that, not just based off of those only, but those factors are added into there. If you went to Harvard, you went to Stanford, you know, it's somewhat you have a network where you can, you know, you can survive off of. If you have a similar background as some of the investors, you know, we have, you know, uh, investors now that are like, hey, look, we want to support certain groups because they've been marginalized. But if certain amount of those groups that have been marginalized have, uh, you know, the investors are mostly fitting into that quarter, then obviously what's the output of more uh, certain individuals raising more capital? 
yeah. right? If more investors are thinking in tribal ways of like, this person reminds me uh, superficially of myself, you know, and because this is happening too. Like, don't believe that, you know, that these things aren't happening. People are, people are typecasting people like, oh, he reminds me of Zuckerberg. Let me give him some cash. <laughs> Not just so easily like that, but you know what I mean? He's, he's a grinder. He's, you know, he, he wants to do something. Okay, he reminds me of Zuckerberg. Okay, cool. And, and, and whatever reminds him of that can also be physical. It doesn't always have to be you're this, you know, you have this drive and these things like that. People literally typecast in somewhat when it comes to even investing, you know, they'll, they'll have stereotypes attached to it. You know, it happens the same way when you're doing like music, certain groups, you know, can be considered, oh, well, this person fits this category so they can be a singer or they can be a rapper. But if another type of person from another background and group does that, it's like, yeah, I don't know. They could be good, but they have to be really good and really lucky. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, yes. I'm, I'm just saying these factors kind of kick in because even in, when you think about music people in the industry, record labels are basically, you know, they're the same thing like, you know, um, investors, mm -hmm. you know, they come in, give you some money, you know, they say, take a portion of that and hope you do good. You know, yeah, I don't know much about that industry, but uh, from your description, it sounds about the same as investors. I mean, it is because you, you need money, mm -hmm. right? And distribution right and connections and network and this is what record labels provide you different from yourself unless you built something on TikTok and these other social medias um uh, uh, uh platforms by yourself but even then there's some a lot of relationships that record labels have had for years that you still can't grab immediately correct yeah but uh, i think uh, the world's changing for the better though uh, like uh, you just mentioned TikTok or instagram they uh, those opportunities didn't exist like if you wanted to reach a million or a billion people um, how would you do that 30 years ago? That, that would be super hard, but now you have YouTube, you have uh, Instagram, and there's one uh, new social media <laughs> craze that comes up every few years, and that allows you to uh, reach a scale of audience that you couldn't, uh, couldn't imagine a couple of decades ago. Uh, and I would argue that that's the same uh, even with um, startups and investors. Uh, I think Y Combinator changed the value for the good. Uh, it used to be uh, like how you described clicky and stuff and Y Combinator here <laughs> changed the rules of the game uh, made, um, um, yeah, made, made, made it. I don't know. Fun. I mean, has Y Combinator, Y Combinator is a great company, by the way, a lot of great startups that came out there. Yep. But I mean, it also, you know, it also depends on the supply and demand of, of people and cultures that are interested into it as well. Yeah, I agree. Right. Yeah. But I'm still saying, if you look at most of these startup you know, uh, that you, you look at most of the background of most startup founders, they have a consistent pattern, you know, you just do, you know, um, and, and when you look at the most successful ones, they have a consistent pattern of who and where these founders came from. Mm -hmm. Right. So this, um, there's a danger in that because what ends up happening is people just start investing in their own clicks. Okay. Right. And then th these, these, these small micro clicks, clicks begin to be macro clicks and then they have this buying power and they end up supporting themselves. So it was community supporting inside themselves instead of being, you know, spread out and just, you know, you know, giving it to the, you know, I would say that probably like people who are just as qualified and talent to do so, but you know, now there might be typecasting into that. But I do think YC and different companies like that do a great job. You know, 500 startups does amazing jobs too as well. Like plenty of others I'm not probably not even mentioning, but I'm still saying, there still is this inherent pattern matching that goes through raising capital that you see. I mean, I remember when I was in LA, 
there was a you know guy who, you know uh, me and my friends we were raising capital for our first mm -hmm. company and uh the the uh the uh this guy was like a you know rich kid you know rich uh, you know i don't you know rich kid and he was just like hey you know, I was like, hey, he's like, who's building this thing? I was like, yeah, well, I'm, I was developing at the time. I was like, yeah, I'm a developer and I'm also working on the design and I have another um, uh, uh, CTO. And he was like, oh yeah, you know, don't worry about that. We can just get a bunch of, you know, uh, 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 Asian people or people from China to go work and, and build this for you. You know, don't worry about that. And I was like, what, what are you talking about? But there was a stereotype there. You know, there was a stereotype, you know, that he brought up. I mean, he didn't mention, you know, Spanish speakers, you know, he specifically, you know what I mean? Like, you know, there's stereotypes that people attach, you know, to, to certain demographics. And I'm saying those things seek, I mean, they kind of like pour into people's judgment yep. subconsciously. Yep. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think sub, uh, unconsciously we all have our bias, uh, biases and stereotypes. Uh, which I think it's uh, good that you bring it up. It's um, it's helpful to be reminded of uh, all these unconscious biases that we have. Yeah, I know, but I know a lot of people push back on them sometimes because they don't want to hear it. And they're like, oh, and that doesn't exist. But really, if you're great and you're doing this, well, in order to be great, you had to get a chance. Yeah. Remember, we talked earlier about failure. Correct. So you have to get a chance to fail before you can actually be great. And somebody has to believe in you. Somebody has to take that risk. Somebody took a risk and gave you money. And then if we're talking about friends and family, not everybody can go grab their friends and family who can pull out a good, you know, 200K or a thousand, a hundred thousand dollars or 50K or 20K and just say, here. Yeah, uh, that's true. But uh, I, I would argue uh, the other way as well, that you can, uh, I, I think you can find ideas that don't require, that are not very capital intensive. Uh, and uh, at least for software, the amount of capital that you actually need isn't actually much. It's all you need is a laptop and internet connection. And um, most people already have that. So uh, I wouldn't like raising cap uh, money is hard for sure. I don't want to discount that. And if you don't belong to those clicks, like you described, it's extra hard, but don't let that um, be like a factor of preventing you from starting something because you can always find an idea that doesn't need uh, money. Not all ideas need uh, investment or capital. And uh, 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 one thing I've noticed in investors is uh, the biggest signal, even bigger than uh, which school you went to or, or where you grew up, is a past success. So if you show that you can be successful at building something, uh, or if you have a, even like a decent size exit, uh, and you have the street cred, they're more likely to invest in you. Like if you're a successful first time founder, raising your second round is so, so much easier. No, I totally agree with you. I agree with you 100%. Yeah. But I think what I'm saying is you got to get there. Yes. Somebody's got to get somewhere. You got to get a chance. You got to get a lucky break somewhere. I mean, unless it's just total luck, right? Mm -hmm. Like you just luckily just get it. But there's somewhere there's everyone has some type of support or there wouldn't be raising capital or there wouldn't be mentorship. And I'm not saying that people can't go out there and find them and get them if they look really hard, but I'd just say like there's more of a probability of getting quality ones based off of some of these attributes that we stereotype in Silicon Valley or in any industry in general, not just in Silicon Valley, like they do in Hollywood with the music industry. You know, who can be rappers, you know? Who can be singers, you know? Yeah. You know, th there's there's stereotypes, you know? Look at BTS, one of the biggest, you know, boy bands in the world, mm -hmm. but would they pass being, you know, artists in the United States 
and getting signed? Probably freaking not. Yeah. Because they're stereotypes. Mm -hmm. But look what they've done. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I, I guess at the end is you can complain or you can do <laughs> something. No, no, no. And I agree. You can, you can complain, you can do something. But at a certain yeah. point, when's complaining actual reality? Yeah. Right? Correct. I mean, when the British came into India, you could say, oh, they were, don't complain. <laughs> Hold this up. Do this. You know? Okay. Yeah. That's, you're, stop complaining. Just take it. Yeah. You can sure. say it to an extent that's complaining. But the reality is there's a, there's a limitation or there's a, um, there, there's a small line between complaining and literally just, you know, things just blocking. Yeah, but I'm not saying that. But I'm not saying that people can't do it, and I would never encourage anybody from not doing it and and doing things that don't scale and going out there and trying and and you know I, I would never you know bend down on a crutch and say oh well, you didn't get this because of this because of this no go out there and do something go out there and make something amazing yeah. uh, because I think optimism is one of those factors that are very important when you uh, start or run a startup. But I think like you know people a lot of people might have this optimism, but I think the thing is it can get shut down into reality. Mm -hmm. No matter how, how optimistic you are, if somebody says you can't get past this door because it's just who you are, it doesn't matter how optimistic you may be, eventually you're gonna feel something else, right? Like, hey, what the hell's going on? And this is what I'm saying. And like, I'm sitting there, I'm directing to that. You know, when, when, the, you know, when the British comes over to India and they're like, hey, you can't do this, you can say I'm optimistic all day, we shall overcome, but the reality is, <laughs> it's not changing civil rights movements in the United States. Plenty of people were optimistic, but did that change everything to, uh, an, an, uh, um, to an extent slowly, but surely, but still not even to the fact to where it should be. Yeah. So these are the factors I'm saying that some things you cannot control, but you can only try to control within your grasp. And all you have to do is try. So I would say to anybody, you know, don't let anything hinder you. And I think things are changing for the best. Mm -hmm. And I think things are growing and we're learning from things. But I still think what my point is in general is that these things slip through the cracks. So I think what I'm relating that conversation to push back to is when we start thinking about, you know, how come so many startups have so much money and they didn't make it successful? Well, because there's probably a lot of pattern matching going on in there. I'm hooking my friend up. I'm hooking my cousin up or I'm hooking up the guy who lived near me when I was a kid. Yeah, I believe in this person. You know, I'm giving him 100 million dollars. You know, it sounds silly. Sounds silly. But people tend to, you know, uh, tri people are very tribal. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. You know, oh, he rem you know, Neil reminds me of myself when I was younger. Yeah, I can give this guy some money. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I'm not, I know that sounds silly to people. And I'm not saying it's just that easy. But some of these things do cross people's minds mm -hmm. when they're giving them cash. Yep. Uh, yeah. I think where we are uh, in Silicon Valley is much better than probably many other places. Yeah. You know what? But you have that humility. Because you know that, right? And the also, there's also frequencies and there's signals. Some signals might be more um, uh, potent or prominent for some of us in Silicon Valley versus others, right? You know, if you're probably, you know, some, you don't see too many typical, I mean, commonly here in Silicon Valley, you don't know too many, um, uh, 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 let's say, for example, Spanish speaking startup founders. How many of them do you know? Here in Silicon Valley, even though there's so many Spanish speakers in California, how many founders do you know that are like built their Airbnb or built their, you know, their Googles? It's just like count them. Yeah. I don't know any. Now, in Latin America, that's different. 
the frequency rises because that's just based off of numbers and metrics. But when you think about it, how many Spanish speakers exist in California, but based on, you know, but how many are actually even founders? There's a lot of different things that go into that, of course. You can't just say, oh, it's this black and white thing, but it's just like, you know, who's interested in the industry, who knows about it, cultural things. And then it's just like, then there's other things that come into play. It's like, do I notice this type of person building startups typically around here? Oh, why don't you go build something in Latin America? Because that's typically, you know, <laughs> I mean, you'll hear things like that from, um, from investors. Sometimes I've heard crazy stuff from investors before, and I've had friends that heard crazy stuff, but you know, you know, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't even want to bring it out, but I know like one time there was a professor who told, um, me and my friend and, uh, he was actually, um, he, he was, uh, um, uh, you know, also, uh, originally from India. And like, um, we were sitting in one, um, uh, group and, you know, at Stanford and like the professor basically from, uh, this group, I'm not going to mention your name, basically said, uh, you know, you need a, a white, um, uh, uh, a founder if you want to raise capital, you know, uh, we were like, what, this is weird. Like what's going on here? But this is literally what she said. And, um, um, uh, it was just awkward because we're like, what? That's not totally true. But that person learned that because they saw patterns. Mm-hmm. And they're in clicks, and so they know who knows money because you're not in that industry and in that network, and you don't know how it kind of consistently be done. And they might be talking about something that happened in the past, more of right. I think that's really it was, and they weren't being malicious; they were just trying to be helpful. Yeah, you know, they weren't knowing what they were saying, and uh, this was a you know a brown person themselves. So it's just like what, <laughs> but. It, it wasn't, it just came from, I don't think it, it wasn't a place from malice because this person's super nice, but it was just like, that was what their experience and what they kind of saw. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> but enough about that. Um, yeah. I, I think like in general though, I don't want to put people into this whole realm where it's like, oh, you know, these excuses and oh, you can do this, blah, blah. I just want to take, uh, you know, I, I wanted to take a couple minutes to kind of focus on like, there are barriers for uh, different people and it's different but you can make it anything you really want to do. But you ha- I just think some of it takes a little bit more of a challenge yeah. because your network matters sometimes based off of your network. <laughs> yes. Right. Cause there's cultural networks and then there's networks that you can, you know, g- gather through uh, social events, mm-hmm. right. And through success and wins. And you got to really put your best, you know, effort forward and, you know, give it all you have. And I think you can break those windows because there's a lot of new entrepreneurs that don't fit the, typical mold who are breaking in and who are getting funding. It's not this one type thing that it used to be prior. It is changing, but I'm just saying there's probably a lot of different people who haven't and not everybody who may be stereotypically that type of person. Like, cause I've heard people complain, you know, how the uh, corporate structure going to certain companies is certain types of people when they work there. So yeah, you know, we're all getting in this tech company, but like how many, how much of the leadership represents those people who are building the products? Yeah, it gets really sticky when you start going to those things. But yeah, I don't know. I think it's interesting. Um, yeah. So let's talk about something else that's a little bit more fun and not so deep. Oh, it's so deep. It's so fun. But I, I do think it's cool. But go out there. Everybody do do your best job. Build a company. Be resilient. Don't let these things use uh, be excuses and be blockers. I'm totally not one for that. But I think it's just something that we all need to be cognizant of and uh reflect on um as, as startup founders and as people who want to build things we need to think different and uh yeah that's kind of it I, I agree yeah so what's next for you in the company um yeah so coming back to the company <laughs> yeah yeah we gotta go back yes uh 
so we are still in the process of finding what is that uh, product that resonates most with customers and the way you figure it out is by doing a bunch of proof of concepts and uh, we're doing talking to as many customers as we can doing a lot of these proof of concepts and trying to figure out what we should be finally building um, uh, that's like the short term thing but the long term thing as i mentioned is uh, if we can make uh, actual change in logistics make it more efficient make it better for the drivers make it cleaner greener um yeah uh, i mean that's like the big goal yeah who inspired you to you know in general like in the startup industry who who inspires you um yeah i think uh, paul graham the founder of y combinator great guy yeah uh yeah i like his essays a lot yeah there's a lot of truth to them um yeah uh, i mean there there are a lot of people who say that he's from like a privileged background and he has things easy for him um i mean there might be some of that but i really think uh, his advice uh, resonates most with what i've seen in the actual startup journey um many other founders are inspiring you mentioned flexport uh, ryan peterson uh, i think he's a great founder too um i was listening to his uh, um, interview the other day uh, he's a nice guy as well um, yeah. and uh, <laughs> like the funny thing is uh, uh, where we are uh, either someone is a startup founder <laughs> has sold his startup or is considering to start a startup so <laughs> you have uh, you can learn from a lot from a lot of people yeah i agree with you and you know ryan um he, i watched that interview too it was amazing it was good um i enjoyed it i, I like his story he seems like a, an amazing guy yeah. um really great founder yes. um amazing and, journey too yes uh, like if you look at his background even um before he started this billion dollar company he was uh importing like i think electric bikes from china <laughs> mm-hmm. which is so far from uh, like a real startup idea it's like an import business um to what he's doing right now like in the software space and making a dent in the in global logistics yeah that's i'm sure he learned a lot along the way before uh, he got here and i would argue that he couldn't have started flexport as his first company yeah i mean he you know that's the whole thing is finding that opportunity to solve a problem Correct. like you can be this founder to do things and you can change things you can build a company but it's always about finding that idea the right idea Okay. And that comes to people at a different time. Yes. And I think Paul Graham, I think that, you know, people get the stigma of like privilege. Privilege is a bad thing. I don't think privilege is sometimes a bad thing. I think everything has a pros and a con. Okay. Being underprivileged is, you know, has a pro and a con. And being privileged has a pro and a con. You know, it just depends on how you look at it. You know, you always got to look at things more optimistic, which is what I'm saying, you know, prior, you know, priorly to some of the conversation to think of things optimistic. And sometimes, you know, you might be comfortable being that the underdog and, and just showing people what time it is. But other than that, I think Paul Graham, there is an, uh, an amazing thing about him being privileged. And what do I think that is? Well, here's what it is. Paul Graham, you know, has an, an insight about things. Yeah. If he is the so-called privilege, even though I don't really think he is, but I think he does have some privileges. Everybody has some privileges, right? Okay. And I think his insight and experience gives him a unique privilege. And so therefore we can't devalue privilege. I think the problem is now we use privilege in a, almost a dirty word. Like you can't have privilege, 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 this privilege. Everybody has privilege, Yeah. right? That's why I don't really like the word privilege. You know, it's like everybody has some type of privilege. Yeah, it just uh, weighs on the factors. Yeah, I agree. You got to use every uh, advantage you got. Yeah, and th and, th and that goes back into what I was saying earlier. You know, there are privileges advantages of you know stereotypes. So if you on that good side of the stereotype privilege, 
then is that it's a privilege everybody has one so it's like you know you got to look at your you know your positives and not focus on your negatives so much and see if you can you know up, uplift those as much as possible but really try to stay focused and uh raise the bar but paul graham's an amazing guy i think what yc is doing is amazing too as well correct but you know it doesn't hurt to have yc you know on on your on your uh startup stamp you know correct yeah it's like a i would say a very good stamp of approval if yeah. you're yc approved <laughs> yeah stamps of approval matter so much i feel like in the world and i get it yeah i mean it's it's like a i don't know tag like if you have that brand uh, then you must be good but uh, that doesn't guarantee anything i don't think 97% of yc companies are successful it's the other way around no i totally agree with you yeah. so let's change it up a little bit sure go ahead what's your thing what's your thought about uh you know elon musk with uh twitter what do you think about that <laughs> what's your opinion I, I don't really have an opinion there mm. um i think uh, like i said uh, when you're a public company you you got this pressure from shareholders to always deliver results financially and uh, going kind of private uh, you can do things that are more long term and beneficial for the company than always thinking about your earnings in the next quarter so i i think in that is a good thing uh elon's an interesting guy i would say i don't know what he, uh what uh plans he has for twitter when uh, I, i'm going to bet that it's going to be better than what it is now i would agree too man leveraging some type of like you know um uh you know bitcoin technology or some sense uh yeah okay. I, I think i don't know who knows nfts maybe you have nfts all through yeah. the thread who knows what's going to go on yes. but i think it's good to have him there because he's about freedom of speech and i think freedom of speech is good because at some points you know it's just really finding that hard balance is really where it's tricky correct yes uh, i mean who decides what's okay what's not <laughs> that's Face a hard question facebook yes <laughs> um, uh, yeah joke right joke 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 i love facebook facebook's an amazing company i learned a lot of amazing things at that company um i think there's so many lessons that you can learn working at big you know tech companies um in silicon valley or outside of silicon valley or anywhere around the world um there's pros and cons to everything right nothing is perfect and i kind of want to always put that out there is nothing is perfect you always got to try your best and you know aim for that but i like to do is sometimes you know um highlight some of the flags yeah to make the world a better place you know yeah. there we go it's a good mission man yeah yeah it's a good mission but your mission is to you know change the whole transportation you know kind of a you know world or, or make it better right uh, yeah try to make it better yeah awesome so where can people you know um who want to reach out to you and, and find out more and maybe support your cause how could they do so or like where can they find you connect with you uh yeah i'm not on many social media platforms I try to stay away from social media um but uh our website is andrew.ai so it's e n r o u t e.ai and uh, you can email me at neil@andrew.ai Awesome. Yeah, that's cool man. Well, Neil, it's been great having you on the podcast. You know, you're a personal friend of mine, you know, I think you're uh an inspirational person and you know, and I know we've had plenty of conversations but I think like the beauty of you know watching somebody build a startup or anybody and uh, especially a friend is just like watching them grow you know and learn through trials and tribulations and become a better person each time and i think as long as you can reflect on your mistakes and your wins i think you just become a better person as you grow through life and i think as long as you're pushing to help humanity in some way you'll definitely be blessed as a person um consistently throughout life so thank you man for coming on the show that's it thanks for having me yeah oh. <laughs>